following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. One of the amazing examples of, of God's creative genius, just, just one of the um, astounding examples of God's majesty and his creative power is found in California's southern uh, Sierra Nevada mountains. There in Sierra Nevada mountains, you will find uh, the Sequoia National Park. Sequoia National Park takes up about 400,000 acres. So it's a a big park. Um, And there, uh, people have called that place the, the land of the towering giants. And they've called it that because there in that place on earth, you find the tallest trees in the world. I mean, you can go to Sequoia National Park and you can stand at the base of these monstrosities and you can see the amazing magnitude and creativity and power of God in creation. And these trees, these giant sequoias, as they're called, I mean, they have a lifespan, for example, of like 3,000 years. I mean, they have branches that are eight feet, all right, that's not eight feet, but they have eight feet in diameter, you know what I'm saying. Um, They have bark that grows on that tree three feet thick. I mean, that's that's a big tree. uh, But there's one massive monument to God's creative bigness, if you will. One massive monument. And, and this tree, the, this, this giant sequoia, claims uh, being the largest tree in the world. And they call it General Sherman. And this tree, I mean, it, it is unequaled, unparalleled. For example, just one statistic about this tree is that it weighs in at a staggering 2.7 million pounds. I mean, this is a massive tree. In fact, got a couple pictures of General Sherman, and you could, you could go and stand in awe of this. Uh, just imagine being there, this visual, standing at the base of that massive creation by God. We've got another picture there. I mean, that, yeah, that's General Sherman in the clouds. That's how massive this creation of God is. And, and not only does General Sherman have the title of the largest tree in the world, but General Sherman holds the title of the largest living organism on planet Earth. Yes, this is the undisputed king of the forest. No doubt, the undisputed king of the forest. Now, you can go to Sequoia National Park and you can visit General Sherman. You could could see General Sherman, take pictures with it. You can take selfies with it. You can have a picnic at the base of General Sherman and it would be an awe-inspiring, majestic sight to behold, no doubt. Some of you are like, wow, it's a big tree. And yeah, it's a big tree, but, but wait a minute, because there's something here that we see about God. God is telling us something here. See, that, that, that creative genius, that creative power, that massive ability, I mean, now it comes close. It drops down, and it's in close proximity to us. God's power is right there, street level with us. His, his immensity is reflected in that intimacy. His power now has has come close. And so what we're saying is that 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 creative genius, that creative power, that massive ability that God has to impact the world around him in such incredible ways is the same massive ability, the same creative genius, the same power that God has in your life day after day after day with great intimacy. And Paul poetically pens, excuse me, David in Psalm 139 poetically pens, Lord, you see me 
You, you, you search me. I mean, there's nowhere that I can hide from you. And you know me this way because you've powerfully made me this way. You've powerfully created me. So over these weeks, we've been, we've been together seeing these big things about God, these, these big truths that are found in the Psalms, and in particular, Psalm 139. Now, now part of the, the reason that, that the Psalms are so majestic and so magnificent is that not only do they give us the entire sweeping range of human emotion, but in the Psalms, we see God's power come face to face with us. We experience the, the majesty and the magnitude of who he is. We see it in the Psalms. And these truths are really significant. In fact, I would say that they are indispensable. The things that we've been learning about God are indispensable for us to know him ever so better, little and little, better and better. But they're important to us. They're important to our lives because they impact you and influence you in ways every day, season in and season out. I mean, for example, I mean, one of the great theologians of the 20th century, one of the great authors, A.W. Tozer, writes in his famous work, The Knowledge of the Holy, he writes this. He writes, what comes to mind when a person thinks about God is the most important thing about us. So here's the challenge. I mean, we see God's power in creation. But do we know God's power in our lives? What do you believe about God? So with that being said, now we can turn to Psalm 139, where we're going to spend the rest of our time together, and we're going to be right in the middle of that psalm. So if you want to find that in your Bibles, we're going to be, or on your devices, we'll have it on the screen as well, but we're going to be in verses 13 through 18 of Psalm 139. So I'm going to read to you the text, and then we're going to circle back and begin talking about 13 and forward. So meet me there, Psalm 139, starting in verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Right here, in the middle of, of this hymn of praise, and, and that's what the Psalms are, they're hymns of praise, right there in the middle, David continues to unfold for us something astounding about who God is. I mean, in one breath, David is saying, Man, I, I praise you for your power in creation. And in that same breath, David is saying, I celebrate that power that's at work in me and through me. I mean, that's, that's an amazing concept to behold. So what we're going to do in these verses, 13 through 18, is actually we can break them up into three bite-sized chunks. For example, verse 13 and 14, he created me. Verse 15 and 16, he sees me. And verses 17 and 18, his thoughts are for me. He thinks about me. 
So let's circle back and let's start with that first piece, verses 13 and 14. And this is what we read just a moment ago. For you formed my inward parts there in verse 13. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. So there right away, we can, we can begin to see then his creative ability. We begin to see God's creative power in forming and in knitting. We can see that, but, but don't miss the closeness here. Don't miss the nearness. See, this is power and intimacy that's interwoven. This is power over creation, power in creation, and proximity in that power. And these are biblical realities that we've got to get our hands around. The the power of God, the, the power in creation, and that power's proximity to us, its nearness to us. I mean, these are these are indispensable truths. I mean, look at the language there in verse 13. You formed me, you knitted me. The New Living Translation, another popular translation, will kind of put a point on it when it says, um, you made all the delicate and inner parts of me. I mean, that pronoun you that's there, that's emphatic. You see, God's uh, activity is being spotlighted here. What God is doing, what what God is, is exercising is that's what's being highlighted in these verses in this section. So one of the truths that we just don't want to run by as, as, we, as we visit this passage, we want to realize is first this, that, that humanity then is not just the result of some random or accidental occurrence, right? That, that your life, human life, is not the result of some random set of events or some chemical composition over time. No, no, no. Life, human life, is the result of a detailed, devoted design by a powerful and benevolent creator. Amen. Amen. And secondly, the second truth that we want to see in this passage as well that we don't just want to run by is that there is an intended intimacy here. There's a closeness There's a nearness that God intends to deliver in these passages. So it's almost as if David is saying, I mean, God, you formed me. You knitted us together in our mother's womb. It's almost as if um, God has rolled up his sleeves and dug his hands in and is doing the forming and the knitting and the working. I mean, that's, that's an incredible sight to, to begin to see that God is the one who's, who's doing that knitting. Now, I don't, know, um, I don't know if you guys know how to knit. Uh, if you've knit, if you, if guys, men, if you know how to knit, don't admit it. Um, but I don't know if you know how to knit. Um, I watched my daughter years ago knit um, a blanket. Uh, well, at least a blanket is what it was supposed to turn out to be. Um, but she set aside all of the beautiful colored uh, strands of yarn, broke out the, the beautiful pattern that she was going to follow, set out all the tools aside, and then began to intricately weave together all of, of the strands of yarn. So I came close and I said, man, honey, that's, that's, that's beautiful. What are you knitting? She said, dad, I'm crocheting. I'm like, all right, well, I'm a man, so I don't know the difference. But, but she was focused. Like, like she, was, she was meticulously following the pattern and in control of putting these strands together. I mean, she was being fussy about being precise. And David uses the metaphor of knitting. He said, God is in control. God's power is on display here. And he's being fussy about putting us together. I mean, so we, we see God at work in these, uh, in these verses, putting, uh, putting these things together, putting us together. And now look at the second part of that. Look at verse 14. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. 
There are two descriptors there that we need to pull out, um, faith, uh, fearfully and wonderfully. Those two terms, it's important for us to, to, to gain an understanding of the passage. Fearfully, uh, oftentimes in Scripture, when fear is associated with God, when fear is used in association with God, it is more of a reverence. It is more of revering God. It is an awe about God. So what, what God is saying here is that, man, I've created you, I've made you um, in awe of my power, and not just my power to make sequoias, but my power to create you. And it is deep down, it is in your soul you know this. And the second word there, fearfully and wonderfully made, wonderfully carries with it the sense of being, being set apart, right? Being distinct. So God is emphasizing um, his power here. He's showing us his power. By, by saying, man, I fearfully and wonderfully, I've made you in awe of my power, and I've made you set aside and distinct. It's, this is what God is saying to us in this passage. And, and you know, we, we've heard this before as we've talked. The Apostle Paul, whom we've talked about many times, writes in the New Testament. He writes a letter to the church at Ephesus where he says that you, you are God's workmanship. So just think of the craft and, and, and the skill intended in that statement that we are God's workmanship. Amazing, right? Well, not surprising then as, as we look at the complexity and the, the um, uh, wholeness and the unity um, and the, the design of all of the systems in the human body that uh, we look at that, we're not surprised that another translation takes those verses in Ephesians and says, you are God's masterpiece. You and I are a masterpiece of God. I mean, that's, that's incredible to hear these words. Now, so while evolutionary biology would say that you're no more than glorified primates, God says something radically different, altogether different. You and I are a mirror of his beautiful design. And we are a, a result of his creative power. And, and as we look also in Scripture, this is not just there, but this is everywhere. Moses writes in Genesis, in the creation account at the very beginning, Moses writes that, that, that God made man out of the, the dust of the earth, right? And then he formed woman out of the side of man. Notice the power in that. Notice the creativity and the power that God has in making us. But don't miss the intimacy. Because also there in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, Moses writes that God comes close. And he breathes into the nostrils of man. And man becomes a living being. That's power. And, and man and woman are the only creatures to have the distinction of being called, being made in the image and likeness of God himself. And that's value. Look with me at the next set of verses as we progress through the text there in verse 15. David writes, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. So in 13 and 14, he created me. In 15 and 16, he sees so uh, he, he, from the very, very beginning, God has seen you. From, from the darkness and the depth of the womb, God has seen you. That's what David means when he says that my frame was not hidden from you, that God has seen you even in that dark place, even in that early stage. 
And God hasn't just seen you um, to, to, to put together and, and develop your body or, or, or build you. He hasn't just seen you to, to devise that, but he's seen you to designate your days. And this is what David says in verse 16. You, you see me, but you plan out my days for me. So what David is saying is that, Lord, you just did lovingly for me, lovingly put me together, but you lovingly attached purpose to me. You gave me purpose. See, God's omnipotence, God's power creates and builds. It destroys and it designs. It governs and it controls. And, and this, this creative power, if I got, does those things. So David is saying that um, it's, it's not just that you formed me and put me together, but you attached value and worth and purpose and promise and power to me. See, you and I, we have a role to play. There's a destination towards which we are headed. I mean, there's a point to your life and to mine. Your life and my life is of supreme value and worth and designed by God. And these truths are significantly important to us this morning and every day. Because in those days, in, in those seasons where, what's the point of this? In that day that, that, that you can't get out of bed because you just, I, I just don't know the point of what I'm doing anymore. When, when despair and, and desperation and uh, disappointment follow you around like a lost puppy or a lost cat if you're Sarah Garcia. When, 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 when the wounds are reopened, when, when the pain is raw, when it's battle after battle, confrontation after confrontation, where do you go? I mean, what? What do you do? Where do you run? And we run to all kinds of places. We go to all kinds of corners, but we don't go to him who has all power and authority in his hands. We don't go to the one who's made us, who formed us, but also has given us purpose. And listen, in that day, your drinking buddy is not going to drown out your sorrows. Time does not heal wounds. God heals wounds. God heals wounds. And I, I, I forget at times, um, you know, I, don't, I don't turn to him. Uh, I, I ignore things at times. I forget that he's bigger than I am and he's nearer than I realized. But take heart. Because God not only has the power to help and to heal, but he has the intimacy to care to begin with. Look with me at verses 17 and 18 as we close out our passage this morning. The psalmist David writes, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. He created me in verses 13 and 14. He sees me in 15 and 16. And his thoughts are for me. He thinks about me in 17 and 18. So I, I don't know if you realize this, um, but today, this morning, as we sit across from each other, as life is happening in and around you, you are on the heart and on the mind of God, if I can say it that way. 
His, his creative power is for you. His care is consistent for you. And we do at times forget that God is there. I mean, I do at times ignore what he's called me. I get distracted and I run off in all kinds of directions and, and I fall asleep. Um, I, I get distracted. I get dissuaded. I, I do all of those things. I don't know how you guys are as parents um, uh, for the most part, but I know that you know, in this time of transition in my family's time of adjusting, I've got two young adults at home now, um, one older than the other, and learning to deal with and, and go through this transition of having a young adult uh, who's, who's, who's a man and he's, he's going to college full-time and he's got jobs now and it's expanded hours and longer days and a variety of responsibilities. And I'm learning how to navigate this transition. So, I mean, I told my wife, I said, listen, you know what? You go to bed and I'll wait up for him. All right, this, this is how I'm dealing with this transition. I'll wait up for him. So, yeah, some of you are laughing at that already. So th- there, are some, there are some nights where, man, I just drop down on the couch and I turn on the TV and I wait. And I wait. And I wait. And, and, and you know, I'll fall asleep and I end up drooling on the pillow. And then an hour later, my son will come home and I'll be like, hey, I'll get up an hour later. And I'll be like, hey, 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 you're You're late. He's like, Dad, you were, you were asleep on the couch. Like, and I tell him, well, I just shut my eyes for a moment, okay? I just, I just closed my eyes for a brief moment in time. Listen, God never shuts his eyes. God never falls asleep. God's never too busy in Western Europe and can't get here in time. Not the omnipotent God of the universe. God never closes his eyes. So in that season or in that time of transition, whatever that is, in that struggle that you're having now today or the seasons to come, know this that you are the object of God's great care, of God's great promise, of God's abundant power. You are the object of that. And notice his thoughts and what, they, what the text says about his thoughts. I mean, his thoughts are innumerable. I mean, and that's the reference to the sand. You can't count them. They're innumerable. They are so limitless, his thoughts, because his power is limitless. His power is limitless because he himself is boundless. And when a baby comes to your home, um, when, when, when you have a child, so for those of you that, that have had a baby, you can think back now, and for those that, that haven't yet had one or are looking forward to that in the future at some point, you know, you, you can gather wisdom from this. But when, when, when a baby comes to your house and all of the events that surround that, I mean, there's, there's a lot of joy there. There's a lot of tension. Uh, there's a lot of stress. There's a, there's a lot of challenge. There's a lot of excitement. All of these things and more, right? I mean, you've got relatives and you've got new grandparents. You've got doctors. You've got friends that don't have any kids, so I have no idea what they're talking about, but they're giving you advice and pointers of all kind. And as that day approaches, as the time comes near, um, you, you, excitement begins to grow. I mean, tension begins to grow as well. I mean, you've been to the doctor, so now you've seen a beautiful picture of the sonogram of the baby in your womb. You've, you've heard the beautiful sound of a heartbeat of your baby in the womb, right? And, and, and the day quickly approaches where all the tension and joy begins to build. And I remember the birth of both of my kids, but in particular, my daughter. I remember that day coming. And I was given one job. I had one responsibility, one job that under no circumstances was I to miss this, was this not to happen. This was, I mean, this was designated to me by Nuria under the penalty of death or dismemberment that I had to get this job done. So, man, look, I I was nervous, but I was focused. The one job that I had that day was to be absolutely certain that she was administered 
the epidural. That's right. The greatest pain relief in all of the birth process. It, it is a gift from God. That's what that is. Um, but so, I mean, I was nervous and, and man, this was drilled into my mind. It was put on the refrigerator at home. Um, I, was, I, I was focused. I wanted to make this happen. I didn't want to die, but I wanted to make this happen for my wife. So the day comes and we, we drive down to the hospital, race to get there. We get wheeled into the room and the doctor's in there, comes to shake my hand. Hi, Mr. Trotta. And I said, epidural. I, I wrote epidural on the entrance paperwork. I almost wrote epidural on the birth certificate. Epidural. That was, so um, we're there and, and now it's almost time for, for Mia to come. So my wife is on, on the bed and, and, and I'm in there with the doctor in the room and, and we're there um, and uh, he hand, I'm in my gown. I got my gloves on and the mask on and hands me the scissors and he says, are you ready, Mr. Trotta? And I looked at him and I said, no, I didn't say epidural. I said, yes, I'm ready to go. So I've got the scissors because I'm the one who's going to cut the umbilical cord. I don't know if you've seen that. They're like, anyway. So I was there and, um, and, 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 and Mia's, Mia's head pops out. All right, sound kind of weird. Mia's head comes out and, um, and the doctor immediately, instantaneously recognized that something wasn't right. So at the blink of an eye, before I could breathe twice, he took the scissors out of my hand because the umbilical cord was wrapped around her neck twice. And he cut the cord. And, and I was like frozen. So, so years later, I'm trying to explain this to my daughter saying, look, honey, it's not that I messed up. Uh, it's not that I was too slow. I mean, that's just a lot of pressure right there, you know? And, and he was really, really fast. Um, but the doctor shows me my daughter. And I, I looked with wonder and amazement at this tiny human. And I looked in awe at the, at the, the, the intricate detail, the small fingers, the little feet. And her head was a little lopsided, but, but she's beautiful. She was beautiful. And, and I looked at all, and I, and I was in wonder about that. And as I read, David says that you formed me. You knitted me in my mother's womb. And I read and studied this passage over and over this week. It brought me back to those moments where my daughter came from the womb, and she was beautifully woven together with intricate detail and great value. So I fear today that a lot of us, I mean, look, there's nothing remarkable about me. I don't know, maybe, maybe you look in the mirror, you get up in the morning, you look in the mirror, and it's like, well, there's nothing special there, nothing, nothing remarkable about me, nothing great there. I mean, we, we spend so much time and energy, and we devote to getting our self-image and our self-worth and our value and our identity even from, from Facebook and Snapchat and every other social media engine. Now, social media is not bad in and of itself. I mean, Lord knows I'm involved in that and I, and I enjoy it, but when we get our identity from it, that's bad. I mean, I mean we're looking at that. We're comparing ourselves to other people. Other people and their jobs, other people and their, their enjoyments, other people and their vacations, other people in their circle of friends, other people and whatever. And God help us. It is choking us. We're being choked by social media where we're, we're getting our identity. It's designating our worth. It's designating our value. It's designating our joy. It's designating whatever it is. And have we forgotten that God has said, I've created you. I see you. My thoughts are for you. I mean, can I just tell you this morning that, that God does magnificent work, that God does masterful work in creating humanity, in creating me and you. This is the pinnacle of God's creative effort. 
This is the mountaintop. This is the apex of God's creative effort. I mean, you and I have been created with with great beauty and, and profound depth and tremendous worth. And, and this, that's right, so the person in front of you and behind you today and to the left and to the right of you, man, this is the pinnacle of God's creative effort. Some of you are like, what, who, that guy? Yeah, even that guy, the pinnacle of God's creative effort. We are created with extreme value and worth to God. So I challenge you this morning. I challenge you to see yourself the way God sees you. I challenge you to conform your life to this truth that God has created you and he sees you and he thinks of you and that makes you valuable and that changes everything. When when the doctor finished with Mia and and cleaned her up and got her red and and I was no longer stunned, right? Um, He brought her over to me and, and the first time that I looked into her eyes, there was immediate intimacy. Just, just immediate intimacy and, and worth and value. And God, you've given me this gift so valuable. And the proof of her value to me, and both of my children, their value to me, is, is, is my care and my thoughts for them and my care for them as best as I know how over these last 16 and 19 years. I mean, I would die for my children, as all of you would, I'm sure. The proof of your value to God are his thoughts over you and his constant divine care of you where where not a moment of your life has escaped your heavenly creator's attention. I mean, you are so valuable to God that, that he crushed and killed his son for you. I mean, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah writes something that I, that I, that I still can't quite understand. He writes that it pleased God to bruise his son. See, it is right here. David pens here in Psalm 139. The the reality of of who God is rings true at the cross. It rings true at Calvary, everything that David is saying. Because on that ugly Friday... On that ugly and beautiful cross, Jesus lays down his life voluntarily for that which matters most in all of the cosmos, you. And on that Sunday, on that glorious Sunday where where God's immensity and his intimacy embraced, Jesus rises from the grave for that which is the most significant and important in all of creation, you and me. And it is here, right here, where we see God's power and his care, and it becomes a reality for us there. Have you embraced that reality? And we're going to close our time of worship in a time of prayer. And this is your moment. This is your time. This is when, if you have not embraced that reality, to to trust in who Christ is and what Christ did out of profound love and extreme care for you, now is the moment to do that. And for those of us that are followers of Jesus that have done that, may this rekindle a fire afresh in your hearts to recognize that your Father's attention is always on you. So let us close our eyes and bow our heads, and you can pray this with me. And I would encourage you, as I often do, that this prayer will not save you. 
but from your mouth and from your heart, the confession of this truth and the belief that God has raised Jesus from the dead, that will save you. Pray with me. Father, man, I, there are times I don't know where to turn. There are struggles and difficulties that I just, I don't know what to do with. There are great joys that I celebrate, but sometimes they just seem empty. I need you. I thank you for your love and your care when I see it and especially when I don't. I trust in Jesus for his love, for his sacrifice for me, for his death on the cross, and for his resurrection. I trust in him for that salvation, my only way. So forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your presence. I love you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.